we now see a, an amazing mix of work-life balance because of remote working. We see far more productivity. We, we banned almost every meeting in the company. We don't have any set meetings anymore. And we see the productivity has gone through the roof. Hey, this is Jesse here. And after a brief hiatus, we're back with episode 48 of the Betting Startups podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Jamie Mitchell, founder and CEO of Low6, which is an award-winning free-to-play game supplier to sportsbooks, leagues, teams, and brands. Jamie and I cover a lot of ground in this episode, including how Low6 are innovating through heavy investment in R&D, why organizations like the UFC, PGA Tour, and a host of NFL and NBA teams are leveraging gamification, and the story of shelving a planned IPO earlier this year in response to cooling market conditions. I had a great time chatting with Jamie, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, we are back on the Betting Startups podcast. And with us today, we have Jamie from Low6. And Jamie, really looking forward to digging into everything you and Low6 are up to, least of which because this means I'm able to take at least the next half hour away from following all the Twitter drama. So really appreciate you joining the pod today. How are you keeping, Jamie? Yeah, good. Thanks, Jesse. Um, I see quite a few people have lost their jobs today at Twitter, which um, pretty brutal the way Elon's gone in and done that as well, isn't it, by the sound of it? So um, yeah, feeling for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Quite uh, quite shocking here from the outside looking in, but uh, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about Low6. And it's awesome to have you here because I feel like you've really made my job easy, Jamie, in the sense that I think over the last month, I feel like I've seen Low6's name pop up in my feed, you know, three or four times with various announcements. So lots going on on your end. Um, I think before we get into anything today, I'd actually like to start with uh, a bit of a random question, which is, Low Six, and we will talk about this, you know, focuses on gamification within its products. And I think just to start off, be great to level set because gamification to me is one of these terms that gets thrown around a lot and, you know, maybe has lost its meaning over time or means different things to different folks. So I'm interested to hear from you as the CEO of a company that, you know, utilizes gamification in its products. What's your working definition of what gamification is and what's it mean to you? Yeah, I guess the whole mantra of our business, Jesse, is around what is good gamification and what does that mean for, for two people, which is the end user primarily. So what does that mean to the person that's being gamified? And then also to the the franchise or the rights holder that's looking to gamify their audience. And for us, it, it's all about engagement. You know, how do we add to somebody's enjoyment of some form of events by gamifying it, whether that be by asking a series of questions in a Pickens type style, whether that's setting fantasy rosters, whether it's answering trivia questions, but really it's around how can we add um, and enhance somebody's sort of experience when they're watching a game, visiting a game, whatever it might be, particularly around sport for us. Um, you know, that, that's what we sort of live and die by. And I suppose what's born out of that gamification is the data that sits around it. So how meaningful is the data? What we don't try and do is gamify for gamification's sake, we, we look to try and get meaningful contextual data at the end that means something to the client of ours, typically, um, so they can help to, to look to either monetize that audience or, or build and grow an audience. So yeah, it, it's, it's yeah, all around those key metrics for us, Jesse. Right on. No, I appreciate that, Jamie. I think it's just important to get that backdrop here before we get into the weeds and really start to unpack this whole gamification element. Let's talk a bit about yourself and your background. It'd be great if you could just take a couple minutes here, Jamie, and give the folks listening a bit of an introduction to yourself and your background and maybe some of the major chapters of your journey up until the founding of Low6. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm fairly sort of bland background, really, for me. I, I sort of went to, to university over in the UK really looked to start a corporate career once I left university and worked for um, a telecoms company in the UK called British Telecom, which is probably the 
the largest over here. And what I thought was fascinating about British Telecom was all of the different divisions that sat within it and technology really is at the heart of, of what they do. And so I was lucky enough to spend sort of 12 years within uh, that corporate career, went through various different departments and then started a, a sort of sports marketing agency, really because we'd seen the value that data was bringing all the way through the, the, the sort of telephony type career. We saw the value of what that data meant to more corporate organizations. And I always was fascinated why data wasn't more powerful in sport at the time. So um, started a sports marketing agency. We created lots of applications for football clubs and race courses over in the UK. And I suppose we then started to really see the power of that gamifying people's experiences on those fan engagement apps was leading to some really rich data um, that the clubs were able to monetize by various campaigns. And I think the, the inflection point for us really was when we saw what was happening in North America with um, you know the, the sports gambling scene and understanding that data I felt would be super important to the operators because I felt the land grab um, would only last so long where people would be able to spend huge amounts of money and that would eventually change. And, you know, now we're seeing that sort of move from uh, huge, aggressive uh, upfront payments for users into a more sustainable model. And that's where data becomes super powerful. So Low6 was born out of a marketing agency, if you like, and the rest is history, I guess. We, 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 we go from there. Awesome. And maybe take us just a little bit further through the timeline, Jamie. Like when when was it where, you know, the sports marketing agency was doing its thing and we sort of had this epiphany around the the value and power of the data and, and sort of then the steps you took from there to really start to incubate what became Low6? Like what was it sort of like that transition period like for you when you basically went from corporate life at BT and, and now obviously leading Low6 full time? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting because the marketing agency was was doing really well and, and we bootstrapped that business, um, you know, so really was based out of sort of six, seven guys and girls working extremely hard and creating lots of products and getting it out there. And that was kind of 2015. By the time it got to 2019, we had, we'd won lots of football clubs and race courses, so say from an app perspective over in the UK and had really stumbled across this gamification leads to big data. Um, and it was around that sort of 2019, 2020 time that we incubated Low6. And the, the, the purpose of Low6 and the name, um, low six itself comes from a game that sat within one of the football club's apps. So it was the idea was to pick six games to score as least amount of goals in those six games as possible. And, you know, I think the, the, the data that we got from one of the clubs off of that one game, we then were able to monetize with the betting company quite quickly. And that's when the light bulb moment went and said, well, hang on, look at the size of the, the prize over in North America. And wouldn't it be great if we could sort of ride on on the, the crest of that wave. So um, yeah, we incubated the company at that point. And, um, you know, I suppose we, we wanted to take a slightly different journey, really, which was to, to seek some funding this time, having bootstrapped a business from day one. I, I thought it would be pretty interesting to seek some, some seed funding um, and to start to grow more aggressively, because I think I felt that we would miss the opportunity if we grew organically into 24, 25, 26, we probably would have missed that curve. And so um, sought seed funding and then went through and uh, and actually you know got more aggressive with that funding as we went and built the team and scaled it. Right on. No, I appreciate that backstory. And we'll come back to the funding element in a few minutes here and, and dig a bit deeper on that. But just for now, um, maybe we can do a bit of a deeper dive just on low six. And again, just for the benefit of folks listening that might not be familiar, it'd be great if you could just talk a bit about high concept. What does it do? What user problems is it solving? And just basically, what is it that you have in market currently? Yeah, sure. Well, we... I suppose really what we we do is um, we allow white label sort of games to be spun up, as I say, for operators, for brands, for franchises and rights holders. And 
I think what we focused on was building our own proprietary tech stack from day one. So we wanted to build a microservices type approach to technology, which meant that every operator who wants to, or, or, or franchise or rights holder who wants to work with those six or wants to have gamification can say to us, well, we, we like that, i.e. KYC, for example, and we like automated scoring and we like pickums or we like whatever the game might be, but we don't like that element. So we built this kind of approach where you can turn things on and turn things off and you get this various kind of bespoke feel to your game that, you know, sets us apart, I think, from from some of our competitors. And once once that's happened, you know, then we can roll this out on, uh, at scale and on mass and so we've really built a tech stack that we think is is market leading. And I, I suppose in some ways it's a bit like some of the bigger platform providers with some of the sports books, you know, but we've we've attempted to do that free to play. And um, I think that's why we've been so successful in the partnerships that we've we've penned and and the, the sort of reach that we've got now globally. It's probably because our technology stack is so advanced and and well thought of, you know, award-winning, probably, I think we've won six or seven awards in the last couple of years for it. So that was the approach. Um, in terms of the gamification itself, we we pretty much keep it simple depending on which market we're in. So, <clears throat> you know, the mature markets of Europe, we have some probably more complex games. Um, in some of the, the, the newly regulated states in America, we have some sort of simpler games. We have games where people are learning about betting. So we'll give them almost a tutorial. Uh, and then again, if you're you're offering a game in the United Kingdom, for example, we've been degenerate gamblers here for for many years, and so uh, we skip the tutorial part and go straight into the good stuff. So yeah, it's um it, it really is a sort of not a one size fits all approach that Low Six have. Nice. And speaking of your award winning technology stack, I know folks listening on audio platforms can't see our conversation right now or see the video, but just for context behind you, Jamie, on video right now, you have a shelf with a bunch of EGR awards I can see. So you have the trophy case literally behind you. Um, and yeah, just sort of speaking to, I guess, the the power of that tech platform and the recognition you've received for it. Looks like things are going well from that end. And you know, you touched upon the fact that Low Six is producing free-to-play games. Obviously, there's other companies out there doing similar things. We've had a couple of them on as guests in the past. I'm curious, Jamie, just from a free-to-play provider perspective, how do you think about Low6 in terms of how it's differentiated from other free-to-play products on the market and what makes Low6's yeah. uh, proposition a bit unique versus some of the other folks out there? Yeah, I think it's a good question. We, we, we're constantly innovating and probably one of our, our, our biggest investments um, to the back end of uh, this year has been integrating Web3 into our Web2 applications. So a really good example is we launched a, a fantasy product in the UK called Ultimate Fan. Um, Ultimate Fan is a, a pack openings fantasy game that we wanted to launch and start our own brand, not through, through any vanity metrics, but was more around, would this be accepted by Gen Z millennial um, sort of people over in the UK? And the idea is you open a pack of players at random each week and put them in your lineup rather than having sort of squad budgets, if you like hugely popular it, it topped the um the app store for most installs it then topped the app store for most grossing revenue because you could purchase packs etc and so what we decided to do was integrate web3 so um how could we take an nft that was launched on OpenSea and actually add properties onto that nft that you could drag into your fantasy game attach them to a player like harry kane and then boost his goal scoring ability and we did that really successfully um, since or back end of August, since the Premier League went live. What that's led to is some amazing opportunities with some big global brands that we're working on at the moment, hopefully announcing in the next few weeks. Um, and I suppose we don't see too many free-to-play operators, and this isn't you know by no means putting anybody down, 
but we don't see too many of them innovating in that same space like we are. And I think that's what's exciting for us is where free to play might go. We also do the really boring stuff, um, you know, the, the run of the mill stuff. But I think there's, a, there's an R&D section of our business that, yeah, that's what gets me really excited as to, you know, what does AI look like in the future of free to play, for example, and, um, you know, curation of questions and answers. And, and I really do think that's got a big role to play moving forward as well. Um, so, yeah, a waffly way of me saying, Jesse, I think we are pretty different because of the R&D that we put into all of our products. But I'm sure, I'm sure everybody in our space is doing similar sort of things as well. You know, I guess just speaking about Low Six, just from a traction perspective, just wondering if you can frame up where it's at in the journey and maybe just talk a bit about what traction the business has, uh, maybe from a commercial perspective or however you want to measure that, right? Just sort of frame up where Low Six is at in its trajectory as of now. Yeah, sure. So we we very much are working with some of the biggest brands um, globally, as, as you'll be aware. And um, that might be the UFC in the UK and Ireland or the PGA Tour over in America. We have um, you know, various NBA franchise and NFL franchise. And then I suppose what caught people's imagination was the collegiate space. So we have around 35 colleges live with free to play, including Michigan um, and the likes of Oklahoma. So, you know, we're, we're very much geared towards mass adoption and rollout to help curate, you know, great, big, meaningful data for operators globally. And I suppose the traction then is validated by lots of our gaming operators now, um, you know, paying for our services. So looking for us to provide our technology into their technology stacks to help onboard and retain. And that's borne out by some really encouraging financial results in the first couple of quarters for us um, this financial year. And, you know, we're very much focused as a business on them, um, on, on going on hit some, some really big revenue numbers between now and our year end in, in June. So, yeah, I, I think we've, we're really nicely placed now It's one of the, you know, We'd like to think the best, uh, but certainly one of the biggest free-to-play operators, both in terms of scales and, and, and revenue, actually. Nice one. And uh, I guess just, you know, natural segue then to talk about some of these partnerships you just alluded to. And I mentioned at the outset here that, you know, my feed seems to be littered with all sorts of announcements from Low Six over the last little while. So I actually want to dig into a couple of them specifically, starting with a recent partnership you announced with Rivalry, which is an operator based here in Canada, where I am. And obviously they're focused very much on esports. And curious, Jamie, just to sort of hear uh, what your view is of esports generally, and just maybe what the esports opportunity looks like for operators, and particularly from a North American perspective, perhaps, where a lot of the conversation right now at the operator level is around you know, where does esports fit into the mix? And just curious hearing from you as a supplier with an, you know, differentiated esports product, like what are you seeing out there in terms of opportunity in the market for esports? Yeah, I think um, what we've seen is, so first of all, the partnership with Rivalry is hugely exciting for us because we found that some operators don't get esports and that's why they haven't perhaps been um, mass adoption and as successful as people would have thought they perhaps might be by this point rivalry get esports and they get them better than anybody else and i think that's why you see you know record numbers of people playing their free-to-play picks product that we provided for them because they understand their audience better than anybody else and i think that's where we perhaps should focus um, or operators need to focus is if you want to run a successful esports division of your your operation you need to get an esports type gamer in there to, to run it because they'll understand exactly the proposition that people want and i think until there's this proper divide between traditional sports betting and esports betting which are so different you know questions like um will they capture the dragon on level two <laughs> you know that's not not what a normal traders used to sing and so we, we need to understand that operators need to go with that but 
I think when you get it right, you look at the, the popularity of brands like, um, you know, Hundred Thieves and, and, and whatnot over in the States. They're driving huge audiences. Um, Twitch is another good example of mass audience adoption. And I think really people like Rivalry are the ones to, to really to, to take that charge to the esport gambling public because they really get it. And I think, as I say, it's, it's probably long overdue that we've seen an operator that really does get it as well as Rivalry. Yeah, a quick shout out here to Steven and the Rivalry team. But to your point, Jamie, I think it is, you know, useful to distinguish the fact that they were esports first and it's very much in their DNA as an organization. I think to your point around other operators trying to quote unquote figure out esports, right? Unless it's inherently in your DNA, there is that learning curve there and, and that maybe lack of understanding at the beginning. But for those that get it, where it's the core of the organization, like rivalry, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of opportunity out there right now. And it sounds like a lot of the success that uh, rivalry is seeing via the partnership with Low Six is really a testament to that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think we'll see more bespoke operators pop up around this space because I think, you know, the opportunity is is not going anywhere. It's, it's still as big as it's ever been. I just think it's been, you know, in some respects, poorly executed um, globally by by lots of the the operators. But I'm, I'm sure and I'm confident that will change uh, over time. Another partnership you guys have just recently announced is one with the NBA team, the Sacramento Kings. And that partnership announcement sort of led me to think about a question I had for you, which is, what are your observations on how American sports fans specifically are consuming sport right now? And how are teams and organizations like the Sacramento Kings adapting to changing consumer behavior, right? And sort of where's low six fitting in there to sort of help bridge that gap that exists right now? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, we just see <laughs> attention spans are getting smaller and smaller, Jesse. And, and so the way we consume sport, I mean, you know, this isn't news to you, I'm sure, but it, it's bite-sized chunks and not necessarily in real time. It's post-event a lot of the time. And I think that's where the challenge now is for for the NBA and and, and, and all these um, huge rights holders is how do we actually engage an audience pre-match, during match, after match? And I think that that's the, the big question. And that's where companies like Low6 will always play a part because, you know, we, we can offer that pre-game, for example, with Low6, you've got operators that offer those micro betting type opportunities during game to keep people interested. And then clearly we've got the, the post game kind of highlights. But I think this reduction into smaller bite-sized chunks of engagement, again, not going to go anywhere. I think I've heard a, a rumor that Vine might be coming back and you know, we've got clearly TikTok. I think that's that's clearly the way things are, are going to keep going. So the challenge um, that we certainly face at Low6 is how do we become engaging and, and bite-sized and um, give those kind of small dopamine hits that people crave um, around engagement. You know that that's what we have to keep focusing our our tech team on, and, and we'll make sure we do that. But I think I think the Sacramento Kings is a great example of of an organisation that's that's trying to you know engage with their audience pre-game to to bring some um, some added engagement. We did a really great single sign-on integration with those guys, so you know seamless now as you go into the the fan application to play pickums and be rewarded more to do probably from our side you know we'd, we'd like to, to to get a bit more creative um with some of the games that we work with with lots of partners but you know that's again that's up to us now to, to really go challenge our tech teams to make that happen nice one and third and final partnership i want to ask you about albeit not necessarily a product or commercial partnership but maybe shifting to the funding conversation and we touched upon this a few minutes ago whereby you know your previous experience you chose to bootstrap your company whereas with low six you reckon that taking some investment might help accelerate progress and obviously sort of capture the opportunity that you saw in the market at that time. So I'm curious if you can just sort of walk us through the funding background on Low6 and then, you know, sort of fast forwarding to, you know, a few weeks ago, there was yet another announcement around some funding that you received as a strategic
project investment from Bluebet. And just wondering again, yeah, if you can sort of take us through the arc of the funding journey and maybe sort of talk a bit about the, the recent announcement uh, with the partnership with Bluebet. Yeah, sure. As I say, I think um, having uh, successfully exited my marketing company, I, I, yeah, I, whether it's right or wrong, I kind of felt that um, bootstrapping was terribly, terribly difficult to do and, and incredibly stressful, and that perhaps funding um, would be a would be a more, as I say, scalable, exciting way to to launch the business. So successful in raising some seed funding um, way back when, in like I say, twenty nineteen probably. And then really sort of accelerated that funding journey. The more users we were bringing on, the more sort of proof points we were able to take to investors. And um, very much the plan for the company was to list publicly um, in the start of this year. So we did um, a pre-IPO, for a round of fundraising in January. And, you know, the markets, uh, I, I'm sure you've heard this multiple times on the podcast, the markets, you know, really turned aggressively against us in, in March. And so our IPO at that point, you know, became increasingly unlikely. So you know, we we certainly invested our our funding, um, which to this point, you know, it's around twenty million sterling. Um, we've invested that in our tech stack, in our people, and our partnerships, and we've really focused the business now for for exponential growth. And you know that that latest strategic investment from Bluebet really does um, just signal, I think, some intention from from us with their the, the company Clutchbet, which they've launched over in, in America, over in Iowa, to help those guys on board and, and retain users and. You know, we're, we're super excited to be working with um, with Darren and Bill and the guys over in, uh, in Australia because, again, they're an organization that's got big ambitions and, uh, you know, for Low Six to be able to help play a part of that, certainly in America, is is super exciting for us. And, um, you know, pleased to have them on the cap table there. And, and offering some strategic advice to us as well, which is really important. So is it a case now looking forward, Jamie, coming back to sort of your, you know, paused plans, let's call it, for the IPO? Is the intention eventually once the market conditions are more favorable to kind of get back out there and, and revisit that? Or is this decision or, or change put you on a different trajectory now? So how are you thinking about all of that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think we're, we're, we're taking it day by day in some respects. Yeah. You know, look, we've got really supportive shareholders who have been on the journey now for a couple of years with us. And I, I know they're very keen for us to to really kick on and, and as I say, deliver some some big strong revenues for them and, and build a really exciting business further. So I, I don't think we would rule anything out really at this point, whether that be an IPO or, or staying private until, you know, the, until the, the time is optimal, but we're, we're certainly um, keeping abreast of, of everything. It's just, I, I don't know when that economic outlook um, is going to change. None of us do, but it, it looks pretty grim out there right now. So we're just hunkering down and doing the best we can to, to as I say, to deliver as much value to shareholders as possible. Yeah, as they say, winter is coming both literally and figuratively when it comes to the market right now is what I'm hearing. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess just, you know, taking all of this into context, Jamie, and maybe thinking a bit about product market fit, right, which is obviously a bit of a subjective thing. There's not quite a formulaic approach to defining once one has reached product market fit. But I'm just curious how you think about that. And, you know, to the extent that Low6 has reached product market fit, like what's your sort of mental model of that? And, and do you think Low6 has reached product market fit to this point? I think that's a really good question. Um, we've had a good example of that, Jesse, is, you know, one of our fantasy games I talked to before got a K factor of two, which is, you know, it's unbelievable, really, for, for, for such an organic B2C product that was just put out there as a sort of Petri dish of testing. And and as I say, topped charts, both grossing and downloaded. And that, you know, when you get product market fit, you really know it. It's, it's, it's probably the most exciting feeling you can have to keep refreshing your, 
backend sort of platforms going, oh my word, we've done another thousand signups. We've done another 50. And you, you know, we had 150,000 signups for that product. And that is product market fit. You know, then I look at what we do with our operators and, you know, we're live with an operator in Canada and they reported 7,000 players of one of their free to play games beating all their existing records. And then they were telling us the data around like 30% of those people playing were coming back day after day to play. And that's product market fit for those guys. So I think we, we, you know, we achieve it in, in incremental bits. Um, I don't think we get it all right, by the way, we, we, we've launched some horrible products as well. That's for sure. Uh, and I, yeah, as I say, we, we probably compete in a mass market for brackets and, you know, all that sort of thing. So there's, there's lots we do well, Jesse, and there's lots we, we probably could do better. But, you know, overall, I think we're, we're pretty happy with where our, our, our tech stack sits in terms of what we offer out as, as products to the market. But um, there's always more to do. And there's such smart people coming through with yeah. gaming iterations. And as I say, Web3 is super interesting. AI is super interesting. And I, and I think people that can keep a little R&D team going internally starting to spit some of this good stuff out, I think they're the ones that kind of come out on top long term with product market fit. Nice one. Completely agree with that, Jamie. Um, I guess just thinking about the journey you've been on so far, and you, you know, you just made reference to the fact that you know some of the games are good, maybe some are not as good, right? You get you get a bit of everything, and I guess with an entrepreneurial journey like the one you're on, you also get a bit of everything in terms of experiences. And curious if you can think back, and if you could take a mulligan on one decision you made along the journey so far and do it differently, what would that be, and why? Well, that really good question. I, I think it's just quite an operational point, but we were very quick to scale the business into an office and have a physical location mm. and um, we've got a really nice office in the middle of Solihull in Birmingham about 6,000 square foot and it's got graffiti spray, spray painted on the inside of sports stars etc and it's great but you know actually what our team demanded and, and really I suppose added to the culture was remote work and mm. um, we now see a, an amazing mix of work-life balance because of remote working we see far more productivity we we banned almost every meeting in the company we don't have any set meetings anymore and we see the productivity has gone through the roof and i think for too long i insisted on people being physically in in a location even if it was for two or three days and i cared more about that in some respects than i did around the productivity and once you as a leader can get your head around the fact that you don't need to see people for people to be productive. And luckily I got there sort of 18 months ago properly. It becomes quite liberating. And that actually that would be my mulligan would be, I, I would have adopted a, a fully remote or, or certainly almost completely remote um, view to work life um, balance a, a long, long time ago. Interesting. Do you still maintain that 6,000 square foot office in Birmingham or is it? Uh... We, we, we're able to leave in June. So okay. <laughs> six months to go. <laughs> Nice one, Jamie. Uh, we're running up to the end of our time here together today. So I will segue to my standard closing question, which is this. If you weren't working on low six, if you weren't working in anything related to sport or betting or any of your previous chapters or careers in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? Oh, I, for me, I'd be a fisherman. Um, nice. I'd be sat now in the Brecon Beacons, um, trout fishing day in, day out, um, a completely different way of life. Well, for the record, that would be my answer if anybody was to ask me that question too. So uh, I'll, jo I'll join you on the boat when that time comes, Jamie. Um, for folks listening that might want to learn more about Low Six or get in touch with you, how would you suggest they best go about doing that? Yeah, go go check us out at lowsix.com. Um, lots of news and articles about us there. As I say, 
would love to, to, to hear from anybody you'd like to know more about what we do, how we do it. Always looking for, for good people as well. So, you know, feel free to drop us a line if you're, if you're a talented individual in, in, you know, either coding, marketing, whatever it might be, give us a shout. We're always looking for, for the right people to come and join the journey as well. So I'm keen to hear from anybody. And, and thanks, Jesse and Betty and Startups for, for, for giving us the opportunity to come on the podcast. They really enjoyed it. It's been great to have you here today, Jamie. Great to learn more about Low6. I fear that you're getting to the point where you're no longer classified as a startup, so I'm not sure if I can invite you back, but that's a good problem, I guess, in a sense. We're really wishing you and the team all the best and look forward to continuing to follow the story. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jesse. Cheers. Cheers.